Coming up next, the booking reads Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Welcome to the Booking. My name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. I'm joined by Brandon, the Irish Catholic poet, the Catholic Irish poet. Hey, Brandon, are, is there a grammatical rule to the order in which adjectives are stated or put on a page or written down? To my brain, the Irish Catholic poet sounds better than the Catholic Irish poet. I think a lot of it has to do with just how it sounds. Just how it yeah. sounds. There's not like a Regional comes before religion comes before. I I sort of remember like depend on what are you describing? Are you describing what kind of Catholic he is or what kind of person he is when you say Irish? Like the fat Catholic Brandon, yeah, would mean that I'm a fat Catholic. But if I said the Catholic fat Brandon, then I'm Catholic and and fat, fat. right? (laughs) Yeah. So there you go. It matters to matters some there. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Yeah. So you're the Irish Catholic poet? Yes. Or the Catholic Irish poet? Yes. I think Irish Catholic poet makes me sound like I'm a that religion Irish Catholic. Yeah, it does. So we want Catholic Irish poet. Catholic Irish poet, yeah. You're Catholic, like you love the universal church? Yes. And you're Irish. I am. You get drunk and you fix the shoes of cobblers. <laughs> I do, yes. <laughs> that's what all Irish people do, right? Oh, that's what we do. <laughs> Are you actually Irish, Brandon? Is Chastain an Irish name? Scottish in French. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, French Scott. Well, we've got another man that comes from French lineage. Yeah. No, my wife. Oh. Well, we've got a man who's married to a woman who comes from French lineage. Yes. Yeah. And I think- Huguenot. We've got a man who's married to a woman who comes from a Huguenot lineage. Yeah. And I think you should introduce that man. He is the pastor. He is a master of reading. His last name is Mensel. His middle name, I was about to say his second name. His middle name is Kyle, and his first name is Jacob, but we call him Jake. I'll put those together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We get Jacob Kyle Mensel, the pastor is a master of reading. Nailed it. Sweet. You did a great job on that, Brandon. Thank you, Nathan. I'm really nervous this episode. Yeah. I think we got to do this right. Well, we would be telling tales out of school if we didn't say we just recorded 25 minutes of nonsense (laughs) fit only for the pigs behind our paywall. Yeah. It's pretty funny, though. It was funny. It was really funny. We had fun with it, at least. Yeah. I laughed. We laughed. Yeah, we all laughed. laughed. By the way, I feel like I should clean up the fact (laughs) we're not really making swill for the pigs (laughs) behind our paywall. (laughs) Our patrons are wonderful people. Oink away, patrons. Yeah, oink Oink away, away. you fat pigs. Well done, patrons. Yeah. Do you mean that'll do? Uh, that'll do. That's right. Um, I ruined that joke. That'll do, patrons. Yeah, the famous moment when Farmer Hog says, well done, pig. I swear, that's when he says how he likes his pig, sir. Right? Well done, yeah. That's the, that's the next scene of the movie. You your pig medium rare. That would yeah. be disgusting. What don't a do rare. That, unless you want to die. Ceviche pig. Now, if you do want to die, though. Yeah. Some raw pig. 
can be pretty delicious. Mm. <laughs> Not even going to ask how you know that. Well, I, mean, I, I guess I'm thinking undercooked bacon is better than overcooked bacon. When it comes to bacon, you don't want it too crispy, in my humble opinion. I think bacon's one of the few things that it really depends on your mood. I think that's true. I think bacon can go any number of ways. But I, I went through this period where I couldn't eat bacon that was too well done. It would really make me nauseous. Hmm. When I was about 13 huh. or 14, I developed this aversion to well-done bacon. I could only have it when it was soft and chewy. That is weird. Then it went that away. Is weird. And most, most feels like it would like, be the opposite. Yeah, most people like their bacon crispy. Yeah, well, a lot of people voted for Hitler. <laughs> That's true. I don't know if there was a vote for Hitler. I don't know my German history that yeah. well. Was there a vote for Hitler? I think he just kind of took power, right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I think there actually was a vote for Hitler. I think there was too. A lot yeah. of people could be wrong. Yeah, it would. It, it does feel counterintuitive. You'd think I, I would have developed some kind of complex about the rawness of bacon, but rawness, it, chewiness, but that sort of cindery. I think I had fattiness. like a bad batch of way overdone bacon, and then I just couldn't stand anything that came like charred. Yeah, crispy. charred kind yeah, of that's, sulfur that's tasting. Bad. Yeah, that's bad. yeah, exactly. It was bad. Uh, I'm speaking, sorry, you had to live through that. Well, speaking of living through things, yes, I lived through the entire process of reading. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and happy I was to do it because it's a good book. Spoiler alert for my opinion on Charlie and the Chocolate Pack. Factory? Factory. Factory. And in order to truly appreciate it, we need our contextual Texan. One, Brandon Chastine, known Irish poet. Hmm. Two, give us some much-needed context on the work. All right. Am I supposed to say yeehaw? If you want to, sure. Yeah, yeehaw. Mm. Yeehaw! No, wait, wait. More would be yeehaw. There you go. Hale what do you do when your yeehaw is lame? Something about shame. Brandon, is f- you should be filled with such terrible shame. Boom. You should be kicked out of the podcast. Boom. And where exactly should he be kicked? Into some gas. Boom. Straight into the mother sun. Boom. 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 I don't mean the mother's son like the son of a mother. I mean like <laughs> our mother, the son. <laughs> yes, we wow. Are. <laughs> we, okay. Uh, yeah. We've all converted to son worship here. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should probably tell people. Yeah. The ancient Egyptian. World's greatest podcast by son worshipers. Yeah. It probably is. <laughs> to, to be frank. Well, you guys remember that comic strip, Frank and Ernest? I remember Ernest. Oh, to be stupid. Frank and oh, to be Ernest. Oh, to be frank, oh, to be earnest. They were always up to something. I remember I scared too, but I love those earnest movies when I was about they were great. six or seven. <laughs> Jim, James Barney, Jim Barney. What's that? What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. He said he saw Ernest scared stupid. Oh. Yeah. Ernest sure lived did. right across the river. He used to do local commercials all the time. Did you ever meet him? No. <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. <laughs> that is sad. Yeah, but my, my childhood was a childhood that had a whole bunch of local commercials with... Uh, Jim Varney? With Jim Varney in him. Yep. Talking to old Vern. Talking to Vern. Interrupting Vern in the middle of Vern's day to talk about some product that Ernest was excited about. Yep. He was talking to Vern about going down to Audubon Chrysler. Nice. Yep. That sounds like good days. Know what I mean, Vern? I know what you mean, Vern. Well, speaking of Audubon (laughs) (laughs) and other things that are auto, this book automatically joins the ranks of the books that we've read on the book thing because all you have we have to do is read it it and do a podcast about it yes 
And we've got the contextual text in here to talk about. I'm sorry, Brandon. I'm a little stir crazy. Yeah. It was a long day before we even got in the studio, but we are committed to quality, just like Willy Wonka himself. Nobody comes in and out of the booking factory, but great podcast product goes That's out right. to the world. We've got our Oompa Loompas who do all the recording and editing for us. That's right. Yeah. And all of our listeners have a golden ticket to quality infotainment beginning like 15 minutes ago or whenever this, whenever this podcast started, but continuing now as our contextual Texan, Brandon Chastine tells us about the wonderful work of art that is Roald Dahl's life and- <laughs> Wow, this is wonderful. His Keep going. Somewhat <laughs> good book- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Somewhat Take, good. That's nah, good. It's great. Take it away, Brandon. Nathan, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> no, this is a guy that... I've been looking forward to this one. Let me just give a little context to the... Or no, a little... What's that thing? We, a little baggage to the context. Yeah. People like to talk about Roald Dahl. He's one of those people that the whole internet community kind of likes to say, like, you know, he was an anti-Semite, right, man? You know, Roald Dahl was a misogynist, right, man? People say this? Yeah. You know, Raul Dahl was dark and like it's sort of like Mr. Rogers was a sniper syndrome kind of stuff. If, if people can- Wear take, sweaters to cover his tattoos. Yeah. Or is, if people can find a beloved personality, particularly one in the children's genre of anything, then they like to sidle up to you and tell you how awful. horrible and awful- Dr. Seuss is a racist. Dr. Seuss is a racist. We've just found out as we're recording this. So I don't think Raul Dahl has been fully canceled or anything like that, but he's certainly taken his fair share of of criticism in recent years. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll let Brandon litigate for us whether that was right or wrong. But I've been looking forward to this context for that very reason. Really? Well, I think that we should just let's talk about him. Let's talk about it. Let's do this more like a conversation. All right. I don't know if we can do or not. You're probably just going to listen to me. Conversation where I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. interesting. Bra- so he was born. Guess what year? You guys guess. 1991. <laughs> uh, let's do the closest without going over. 1984. What? We're doing when he was born or when he died? 1914. We're you only guys guessing. realize he's not a baby, right? We're only guessing. Baby Raul Dahl's not a baby? No. Hey. He's not baby Yoda. I was, I was born in 1984. I'm not a baby. You're not a baby. You're yeah. Not, you're not a baby. Thanks. Now who's got egg on his face? I, I do because I just ate this wonderful egg sandwich and also because I'm a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> Because Jake's not a baby. You are a big baby though, right, Nathan? But was that on the, <laughs> the Patreon? <laughs> that was on the Patreon only uh, canceled episode feed. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. That that should have... Well, I'm glad we got that out for everybody to, to hear. <laughs> yeah. References to things you didn't hear. And people will be proud to know that we did not then start talking about the size of the bottle that Nathan would have to use or the diaper that he usually wears or anything like that. People will be proud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's one thing you'll be proud of. Make their hearts swell with pride. (laughs) Those guys didn't do that. Um, All right. I'm so proud of them. So you said 1914 when you were giving your series. Yeah. Well, we're only allowed to guess the names of pop cultural artifacts. So I guess the name of a movie. Is that correct, though? No. Oh. Mm, 1921. No, 1916. I almost just did 1915 to do the closest. You should have. You would have won. Yeah, I would. I would have won. If you yeah. prices prices right it, yeah, I would have said, "Come on down, Jake. Well, gonna, the ten thousand dollars is mine." <laughs> I had a candy bar or something to give you, but I don't. This would have been a good episode where a Wonka bar would have been great. Yeah.
I know. I really want a Wonka bar. Those marshmallows. You want to just like pause just... the recording and go get some Wonka bars? Yeah, let's just go get some Wonka Let's do it. And we're back. Mm, these are really good. Mm. Either of you guys get a golden ticket? Nope. Brandon, what's that Not in your time. mouth? <laughs> you ate oh, the man, golden ticket? What's left of the golden ticket? You think he'll take it? And what else? A, a, a tire? <laughs> yeah. Brandon, did you eat another car? I did, Nathan. You got to stop eating cars, But I man. thought the mud that was all over it was chocolate. <sighs> and man. it wasn't. Yeah, but you didn't stop. But it didn't stop. I got a problem. Well, <laughs> you won't have to digest that tire because it was stuck in your gaping maw. That's right. And if that's not a t-shirt, then <laughs> our audience is smart. <laughs> they are smart. Okay. All right. Yeah, Rob. So we've so far determined that he was born in 1916. <laughs> he was. He was of Norwegian descent. Like he came from the land of Norwegia? Well, his father and his mother did. They were immigrants to Wales. And his father moved to Wales, and then he met his mother there, and they were both from Norway, so they said, hey, let's get married. His dad wanted to move to Wales partly because he thought that the edu- a British education was one of the best that you could get in the world, <laughs> and so he wanted all his children to go to British schools, and actually, that was one of the worst experiences of Roald Dahl's life. Yeah, don't say. Yeah, he had awful experiences, especially at Repton School. And later he would say that... So, I would have figured he was a man who loved his childhood and loved authority figures. Well, he lo- so he, he's strange because... And one of the things I was reading said that all of his books has this layer of both sort of a warm sentiment to it. So the BFG, for example, mm-hmm. or even Willy Wonka. Like Willy Wonka's got this childlike wonder to him and there's an overall warmth towards Charlie and his family, right? There's yeah. There's... But then there's all this other, there's this layer of gr- the grotesqueness too of life. And it's because you get it from his childhood in multiple ways. One, he went to these boarding schools and had awful experiences with being caned and beaten by teachers and ab- abused and by the older boys at the school. So he just didn't have a good experience at these boarding schools. He wasn't a stellar student and he also showed absolutely no interest in writing while he was at school, though he did love to read. One of his favorite authors was Charles Dickens. Surprise, surprise, given some of the strange characters he comes up with. Yeah, and the names of the strange characters. So, and also, I mean, he was British, so yeah, they kind of just love their Dickens over there. Anyways, no, not very good experiences with school. He would later on say something like, it was foundational to his stories. These He didn't understand. It always surprised him, the brutality of some of these older boys and these teachers and how they could just get away with it. And so a lot of his stories are taking these sort of villainous adult figures, the ants in James, uh, and, the James and the Giant Peach, or even any of the parent parental figures in Charlie and the Chocolate. Mrs. Bird, Trumbull right? and yep. Matilda. Taking these figures like that and then having them be absurdly villainous, but then having the world allow the children that they're ab- abusing to eventually win mm-hmm. and give them their just desserts. Right. And so he's able to kind of wiggle his way into the children's imagination and that he can take this terrifying world of the adults and then also the wonders of these other worlds that he's creating and mix them together to have both this wonderful fantasy world that has this dark grotesqueness to us, but the grotesqueness always loses in the end. So um, in the BFG, you have the other giants, their their project is to go out and eat children in London. Right. right? And so, yeah. 
A lot of this comes from his Norwegian influence because his family would still go back to Norway during the summers, and he had wonderful experiences in the countryside of Norway, fishing, learn, hearing the Norwegian fairy tales. A lot of people think that some of the grotesqueness comes from the Norwegian love of the dark fairy tale, like gremlins and trolls, things like that. Even though I was, as I was listening and reading about this, somebody said, People always think that's like foundational to like the Norwegian psyche. And so maybe that's where it came from, this tortured, depressed psyche. And either he or somebody said, no, actually, Norwegian fairy tales are that way because it's so boring to be a Scandinavian. They have to think of something to be interesting. <laughs> and so they do it with their fairy tales. Anyways, I thought that was fun. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he would go there. So he'd have actually happy moments in his childhood. And you would think that given the sort of stories he writes that he might have had an unhappy home life, but that's actually not the case. His father and mother were good parents. His father died, though, when he was young. He died of pneumonia, and he his father died of pneumonia shortly after his sister, who was seven at the time, died of appendicitis. Oh, man. And so one thing I was listening to said that Roald Dahl was pretty sure his father, because his father died like within three months of his sister just gave up because he wanted to he this girl this daughter in particular was his favorite and he wanted to go back to her and so this really defined his childhood as well so he had the death and the darkness the heaviness of that which kind of gets at why he's so sympathetic to charlie right mm -hmm. i mean you really get a feeling that he is tender i mean i think it's pretty fair to say that Roald doll kind of identifies himself with willy wonka right mm -hmm. and he's very tender towards charlie and judges these other children rightly. Anyways, so he had a fairly happy, like I said, he had a fairly happy home life, tortured with school. He hated school. So it was no surprise that as soon as he graduated, the British version of high school at the time, he didn't want to go to university. He wanted to go and explore the world. So actually one of his first things that he did was he went off on a science exp expedition and kind of toured, um, I forget where it was exactly, um, that he went. He went to Newfoundland with the Public Schools Exploring Society. And then in 1934, he joined the Shell Petroleum Company. Nice. So he was an oil man. And finally, one of, he entered into one of the most famous parts of his life. So he did all these things. He got to go to Kenya. He got to go to Africa, which I mean, I don't know why I said Kenya and then Africa. He got to go to Africa. In particular, <laughs> he got to go to Kenya. <laughs> Little known country in Africa known as Kenya. <laughs> also got to go to China and Asia. Yeah, Wells and... <laughs> Wells. Wells? Yeah, Wells is Wells. Isn't well, I mean, every oil man has to go to Wells, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man, let's just shut the podcast We're funny, guys. What? What did you say? I said we are funny. I was you just are. agreeing with you. I'm glad you're agreeing with me. Yep. All right, so this is in 1939. He's in Africa, and what happens in 1939? The World War... Two. World War II, that's right. And so we get into one of the most famous parts of his life is when he joins the RAF. It's the Royal Air Force. And this is... It doesn't stand for Luftwaffe? It doesn't stand for Luftwaffe, no. Just checking. Yeah. He started, he started out when he entered into what was called the King's African Rifles and helped train and oversee a group of Ascari men still in Africa. But eventually he would end up in the Royal Air Forces and was actually... <laughs> which is kind of fun, fast-tracked through learning how to fly a plane because the Royal Air Force, they were being, if you know anything about the early parts of World War II, 
they were having their Howard's Ends handed to them. Hmm. Was that on the other podcast? That was on the other podcast. <laughs> Anyways, too. I'm glad I'm referencing back to that. So <laughs> pay us money and you can hear the wonders of it. <laughs> you can't the riches, the-, the wonderful riches. It's a veritable bookening in the chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is. It, there is a... So much there. You'll get to see those so cows much. whipped to make churned, yeah. uh, churned butter. Whipped butter. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a part of the book I was surprised it's about, made it's it. It's about like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised that part actually made it into the Tim Burton movie. How did they the whip- allow that? Whipping the cows? Yeah. I don't know. How did PETA not get, get upset at that? I assume they didn't actually whip cows. Well, I mean, but still, even referencing it, I was surprised. Anyways, I'm glad we had that aside. <laughs> um, Quality aside. <laughs> he was fast-tracked. Yes. He was fast-tracked through this flying program, and depending on who you listen to, he either was flying a plane within seven hours of being trained how to fly a plane, or it took a year. And this is a lot of what you run into with sort of this period of his life, is the fact that he would tell the stories later on, and he was a storyteller, which also meant that he was a liar, Mm -hmm. and would often make the stories more interesting. Yeah. And so whether it was really that fast or not, I don't know. All I can say is that even if it was just a year and the amount of training that he got, it was still very fast to be behind a plane and sent into battle. And he became a flying ace, which I think is supposed to be fairly impressive. From what I understood, it's when you shoot down a certain number. I don't know the amount. Maybe Fat Alplane can tell us one day. I bet he knows. He probably does. That was also on the other... uh... Was that on the other episode? I think we should say hi to Fat Alplane before this episode is done. People I mean, we're talking about airplanes. I kind of hear his engines. I think he might be, but it takes him a while to get over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, so, he's, not, he's not thin <laughs> no. airplane after all. But he is really good at segues. Yeah. So maybe he'll help us segue. <laughs> Again, all references that you can get <laughs> behind the paywall. Yeah, but you got to pay us for that. You got to pay, pay for them. We hold the good stuff for pay. Anyways, we were in the RAF, right? And he became a flying ace. He was fairly successful there. And then on one mission... He was flying back to the base and it got late and he couldn't find the landing strip and he ran low on fuel and he crashed in the desert. That's not good. That's not good. This is important for two reasons. One, this would be the basis of his first published work when he retold this story later on. Two, it gave it temporarily blinded him and gave him severe head trauma. That's too bad. <laughs> oh. And a way, again... That he would play off of later in this kind of mystique of who Roald Dahl is, he would say that he actually, this is what unlocked his genius. And some people say, yeah, that might be true because actually damage like that can actually change, change, the, way change, your change the way you your think. Your brain chemistry, yeah. Some people also think this is just him being humorous because there are, all, there are things, even his letters that he wrote early on to his mother and some published pieces at his school where he went, like some satire that he did show that he was at least interested in, in a good writer. Not interested in a good writer. He was a good writer. <laughs> He's like, Bill Shakespeare, am great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to write this sentence. Apparently, I don't know how to Somebody whack me on the head. <laughs> I need to be whacked on the head. I need to be whacked on the head. Um, um, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll let me just uh, say, I think, I assume you're going to get to this, but I think some of what you're talking about, the fact that he had a cynical sense of humor and was a provocateur is... Probably what we can file some of the later anti-Semitism and stuff like that under is he was just kind of a crank that liked to say crazy things. Yeah, actually, we were so we were about to get to that 
reputation because that really develops when he came to America as a diplomat. But yes, and some people actually tie that back to his head trauma because it possibly allowed him to be less inhibited hmm. in ways that he wouldn't have been before that, which I mean, there is precedent for that sort of thing too. So, sure. yep. And that he was able to write stories and talk about things that other people wouldn't want to. Somebody else would have been much softer with these children in Willy Wonka and not had them have potentially horrible fates. So being pulled in the taffy, well, it's not the taffy puller in the book. It's the something else. They make it taffy puller in the Johnny Depp movie. Is it not a taffy puller? For, for, oh, it was a taffy puller. Is it a taffy puller? It yeah. could be. For Mike TV? Yeah. Yeah. It's some kind of puller. It I is mean, a puller. Get pulled. Yeah. Anyways, you would think that would be enough to get him a leave out of the army, but it wasn't. Instead, as soon as he showed signs of being better, even though he still had severe headaches, they put him back in a plane. Wow, catch 22. And, yeah. And he took place in the Battle of Athens, which was a little known part of World War II that almost became another Dunkirk, where they had to get British troops out of Greece as quickly as they could because the Germans were coming with the Italians and had them trapped and 30,000 troops were lost. It was, it was pretty violent and bloody and a, a big loss for Britain. And as soon as this was over, though, he began to have more headaches and some blackouts. And so they finally did decide. We're going to give you medical leave. He was actually kind of depressed because he wanted to stay in. He felt like he hadn't done his duty. Given the nature of his accident, he really he didn't really feel like he had done enough yet. Even though in the Battle of Athens, apparently he was in a fighter plane. And he says that the planes were coming, coming at him so fast that it was, there just seemed to be enemy planes coming out of nowhere. Hmm. So, and... There was another f famous flying ace that was with him that was shot down and killed. And so he, the fact that he survived the war as a fighter pilot, it was God's protection of him. I mean, everybody else, he should have died. Statistically, if you were in the Royal Air Force at the beginning of World War II, your odds of living beyond a couple of weeks were very low. And the fact that he made it through the crash in the desert and the Battle of Athens is, I think that 80, 90% of his platoon died wow. in that battle. So hmm. anyways... After that, he goes back home to Britain for a while, and he sees his mom and his family, and through them, he's introduced to this uh, finally, a fairly high-ranking officer. Finally, high-ranking. <laughs> Somebody's hay having a seizure over here. <laughs> Anyways, and this guy likes Roald Dahl and thinks that he would be, because one thing I've forgotten to mention about him is that he's 6'6". He's six, six. He has that Norwegian blood. So he's very tall, and in his uniform, he's dashing, and actually... After he had his severe accident, he had to have plastic surgery to his nose, and the nurses said it actually improved his appearance. Nice! So they decide to send him over to America as a diplomat, and one of the goals that he had over there, he went to the British Embassy, and he was supposed to be the assistant air attaché. Part of his goal was to help improve the British image in America with speeches and to kind of counter the negative appearance of Britain because America was at that point where they were trying to decide whether or not to really jump headfirst into the war or not. Mm -hmm. And so Britain... So, so Churchill's still in power. Churchill's still in power. Okay. They're trying to... Yeah. And so this is when he gets into a part of his history that a lot of people are really interested in and fascinated by. He's bored with his work in the as an ambassador, but eventually learns of the work of someone called William Stevenson who's, well, I guess the only way, the, the, the easiest way to put it is he's a spy. He's in the, uh, he's in the early versions of MI6. 
And this is the early days of the CIA too. And actually, there's a whole fascinating history. I was, re- I was listening to a book on Roald Dahl and the spies. <laughs> and apparently, they were into code names. So this guy, spy, spy master William Stevenson was known by the code ma- name Intrepid. And they had a particular name for their group, which was actually a reference to what's the street where Sherlock Holmes was? Baker. Baker Street. The Baker Street boys, apparently Sherlock Holmes had these this group of boys he could draw from that would bring him information. Yep. Right. I remember that. And yeah. so they called them the Baker Street boys. And they and so what they would go out and do is they would, as, so Ian Fleming was a part of this, these guys, as they developed in influence in America. Uh, they would also bring that information back to William Stevenson, who would then send it on to Churchill. So they were a direct line to Churchill and that sort of information that they needed. And so he was a part of the espionage in America at the time. Depending on the story that you're listening to, these guys could be the bad guys or they could be the good guys. They were influential in starting the American CIA. And so, yeah, it's a pretty cool part of his history. <laughs> and there's a lot, of, a lot out there that people can go and listen to. The book I was listening to, which is actually really good, is called, hang on, I can tell people right now because I actually recommend it. The Irregulars, Roald Dahl and the British Spy Ring in Wartime Britain. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's really fun. It's, I haven't finished it yet, but it's really, it's good stuff. It's fascinating. And if you like that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's fun. I don't think for the podcast sake, it's really worth going into it any more than just mentioning it, right? But I mean, we can talk about it more later if you want to, but still. What is important for his writing career is the fact that while he was there, he did become friends with a guy named Charles Marsh, who was a Texas publisher and oil man. He was a fame. He had this whole series of newspapers that he oversaw. And at this time, he would kind of collect up and coming intellectuals and writers around him. And Roald Dahl was one of the guys that just became his friend because, you know, he was a British diplomat and his circle, therefore, was kind of the rich and famous Americans, those who were sympathetic to the war efforts. This guy, Charles Marsh, had sold off a lot of his newspaper interests at the time and was really kind of sitting in his office and helping direct subtly whether or not America would go into the war. Roald Dahl actually also became friends with the Roosevelt's and was in the White House quite a bit. <laughs> in fact, when he wrote his first children's book, Gremlins, which was almost immediately optioned by Walt Disney. He, all, he sent a copy to Eleanor Roosevelt, and she read it to her children in the White House, which is pretty fun. So, how did he become a writer? That is the question. That is the question. It happened during the same period. It was during his early days at the embassy. A novelist named C.S. Forrester, who I had actually never heard of until this point. Had you ever heard of him? Yeah, what did he write? He was known for... Oh, I'm an idiot. He wrote Horatio Hornblower. Of course. I knew I knew that name from something. Yeah. yeah. So the not so not so famous. <laughs> the yeah. The famous C.S. Forrester. No, we just didn't I've, know his name. I've never read a Hornblower novel, folks. Anyways, you guys ever read a Hornblower novel? I have nope. not. Maybe we will if you tell us to. But you folks, can tell but, us to. But especially if you sign up for a hundred bucks. I was about to say, but the only way you can make us is give you <laughs> give us hundred bucks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just don't really care about those kinds of stories all that much. Yeah. Uh, but I like, kinda, ma- I like, like Master and Commander or whatever. I like that movie as far as it went, but I didn't need to watch it six times and devote my entire life to it like some people did. Anyway. Well, it's also a novel series, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what I was. The, yes. Yes, the movies. I like the movie. I've never read the books though. I've heard the books are good. People like them. Yeah, the movie's good. I mean. The movie's great. But why they didn't do a sequel of it? I mean. I think Russell Crowe kind of set himself on fire. Is that what happened? Did he get canceled? I think it was right around that time. That's when he threw the telephone at his waiter or whatever. Maybe it was the lesser of two weevils. (laughs) Yeah. I'm guessing that's a joke. It's a joke from the 
movie. Oh. Yeah. Paul Bettany's character. It's a thing. I've only seen that movie once, and I remember that joke. I remember The Lesser Two Weevils, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Hard to forget. I got that reference. Yeah. I'm like, never mind. Did I miss a reference, Jake, today? No. I know I miss references sometimes to Top Gun. It's okay. You always miss my Top Gun references, but that's okay. Folks, I've been working on getting Jake's Top Gun references more so that we can leave them in. I just need to watch the movie sometime. Yeah, the one thing I refuse to do is actually (laughs) rewatch Top Gun. (laughs) As much as I like seeing hot guys play volleyball or whatever it is. Tom Cruise Maverick movie is going to hit this summer. (coughs) Excuse me. It's going to hit this summer and... We're going to have to watch it for Sanity at the movies. All right, there you go. At that point, I will watch the original Top Gun. There we go. Speaking of Top Guns, though, Brandon is tops in his field of... Talking about this thing. Gunning down ideas. All right, let's gun these (laughs) ideas down. Right now, we got our sights on CS4. You know, there's a much easier way in with the contextual Texan and the whole gun thing. Oh, right, yeah. Brandon has great right now. Right now, we've got our sights on. We've got CS Forrester. He's the enemy plane right now. We've got him locked in. Mm -hmm. We're going to start firing. Take him down, Nathan. There he goes. He's fallen. He's fallen. And so how he fits into this story is he had been asked by... He was... Working for the British Ministry of Information. And Don't you was, like Brandon's glasses, Jake? They're really nice. I've been liking them the whole time. Yeah. I have too. They're actually prescription now. I've got to wear them all the time. That's a prescription. Yep. Yeah. I think you can take them off. Is your doctor pointing a gun at your head? Is he in this room right now? She's the invisible man. And yes, she is. <laughs> your doctor driving. is the invisible, is well, a man. female uh, invisible man? Yeah. She <laughs> follows me around at all times. And if I even pretend to take them off, she'll shoot me. <laughs> That's a dedicated doctor. That is. It's terrifying. Seems like she's violating the Hippocratic, <laughs> the more like the hypocritical oath. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Please don't shoot me, female male doctor. You're, yeah, you're, you're kind of toeing the line here, Nathan. Just pretend, pretend I never even mentioned it. Brennan, you keep getting off track. You're talking about CS Forrester. Let's do this. He was in the British Ministry. Blah, 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 blah. He was British Ministry of Information. Every time I'm talking about these organizations, I keep thinking of like Harry Potter. The British Ministry of Information. She did a good job making that feel British. She knows how to capture British bureaucracy. Yes. Anyways, he was writing propaganda for the Allied cause. And um, what he wanted to do was show the Americans the heroism of the war that they were missing out on. You like Brandon's shirt? And Uh, so... especially. It's okay. I mean, it's... Maybe I've buttoned this button here. I know Henleys are really popular, but... Um, I'm just personally not a fan of the Henley style. Brandon is a big fan of Henley style. Right? I got a lot sure, of Henleys. Or may, maybe my wife is a fan of the Henley style. That's possible. Right? But yeah. yeah. Well, your job is to please your wife, not please Jake and Nathan. Yeah. Now stop getting Anyway, so here he comes. He comes into Roald Dahl's office, Roald Dahl's board. This is during the early part of when he was sent to America. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but he didn't want to go because this was seen as... The thing that people who were trying to dodge war did was go to other countries and be diplomats. Of course, he had good reason because of his medical leave, right. but he, you know, he just felt disappointed. He, he really wanted to be fighting. So this guy comes in and he says, hey, I've heard you have this awesome story about crashing in the desert. I want to tell your story. Can we get dinner and you can tell it to me? And so they do. Roald Dahl, though, by the end of dinner says, you know what? I'm not going to get through it all. Let me just write it down for you and I'll send it to you. And he does. He writes it down. He sends it to this guy, C.S. Forrester. C.S. Forrester reads it and he's like, this is really good. He sends it to the publisher without changing anything. 
The publisher likes it, they publish it, and they pay him $1,000, which at the time was quite a bit, for the rights to publish the story. The doll. Yeah. And that's the start of his career. He said up to that point, he had never really thought of being a writer. He wasn't especially gifted as a writer at school. That's, is that the best fall backwards into being a famous author story that we've had in the booking? I think it it's like one it. of the only fall back into being, I mean, Ernest Hemingway, those guys would have killed for an opportunity like this. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, go to war and be a, a reporter or something like that was a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. All those guys did stuff like that. But yeah. This guy, he just has an awesome story. And then people find out, oh, he actually has a really great writing voice too. And that's the beginning of his career. Shortly after that is when he writes one of his first children's books, The Gremlins. And like I said, sends it on to the Roosevelt's. They love it. Disney wants to option it. And really his career, I, it's really funny because you have these guys like Hemingway or Fitzgerald. Like I was, I've been reading the editor of Genius. Mm-hmm. Those guys struggled and fought to be the writers that they are remembered as today. Right. And they were just tortured by it. And then you have Roald Dahl at the same time as them, you know, a couple decades later, but still, he doesn't have to try. His just writing career kind of kind of takes, and... just kind of takes off. And yeah, really, there's not a whole lot. So that's, the, that's, that's his life during the war. And that's when his writing career takes off. That's kind of the most interesting period of his life. After that, he, he eventually marries after the war and after his writing career is taking off. I read one thing where he said he got $1,000 for this piece. And he's like, well, maybe after the war's over, I can make a career of this writing thing. And then he does. <laughs> And famously, at first, he didn't want to be known as a children's writer, but then by the end of his life, he actually was a huge proponent of children's writing and kind of embraced being Roald Dahl. He did get into, so let's take one step back because his personality, his, his character that you mentioned earlier, he was known for being a, a very, sar- almost always sarcastic while he was an ambassador or a diplomat. He was known for being the kind of guy who would just say what he thought, and he could often be cruel with what he would say. And so these things are true, but then other things that I've read said that those are also blown out of proportion, at least by the end of his life. Yes, he was sarcastic. So for example, there was this one director who wanted to make a documentary about him and he was told by all these people, you're going to have to go talk to this guy, but just know he's going to probably shoot you down and hate you and make you feel little and be mean. He said he went to Roald Dahl and he said, yeah, he was sarcastic, but he actually was lovely and fun to be around and generous with his time. And one example of this would actually be with Willy Wonka and the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. At first, the Oompa Loompas were African, right? The NAACP filed a complaint, and they were concerned, like if they were in the movie, that people would associate this with slavery. Roald Dahl understood what they were saying and said, "Yeah, let's change it." So they went back. They took out all references to Africa and took out the pictures where they were Africans. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was an unreasonable, crotchety old man who just wouldn't listen to anybody or be thoughtful towards others. Mm-hmm. He was a, a, a very good father. After, after the war, he married an American actress named Patricia Neal, and they had five children, Olivia, Chantal, Theo, Ophelia, and Lucy. Wow. And actually, so his life doesn't, his life is actually fairly difficult after, as far as Sorry, I got distracted for a minute. Yeah, so he has these five children. Tragedy strikes with two of his children. One, Theo, at the age of four months, was struck in his baby carriage by a a taxi. Wow. And suffered from, what do they call it, encephalitis swelling of the head. 
which actually, to show you just kind of who he was as a man and as a father, the tube that they put in Theo to help drain some of the fluids, he was like, this doesn't seem to work. But it, he, was, he was someone who was always fascinated by toys and things like that. And he had this little motorized airplane. And he said, but the tubes in this airplane never seem to clog up. But, but this tube in my son's that's drain, helping drain these fluids for my son is always clogging. He's like, what's the problem? So he says, well, why don't we get together a neurosurgeon and a guy who makes engine toy, toy engines and see if they can't come up with something. And so he got them together and actually they came up with a drain that was like put in 3,000 children and helped this condition. It hmm. was actually called the Wade doll tube or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And so uh, he was a very caring father and dedicated to his children. The other tragedy is that his daughter, Olivia, died of measles at the age of seven. And this apparently was very devastating to him as well. The same age that his sister had died when his father died almost immediately after of, of pneumonia. And, and sadly, this is also tied to what caused Dahl to give up the last vestiges of his Lutheranism because, because he was so devastated. It left him what he called limp with despair hmm. after the death of his daughter and gave up the last vestiges of his Christianity because of that. And then his, da his wife, shortly after that, when their fifth, children was, fifth child, Lucy, was born, she suffered from severe aneurysms. <laughs> and so he just, he lived a very difficult life with the people that he loved. And yet, according to them and according to others around him, was a, a fairly warm, loving man to those who knew him well. He could be very businesslike and to the point and could be, for those who have ever read his books, unsurprisingly sarcastic and sharp with some of his wit. And I think that's what gave him the reputation. But as far as I read and as far as everything I listened to, I don't see any signs that he was like a cruel man. Mm. Does that make sense? He could be cruel in what he would say to certain people. And you kind of think that we're probably the people at times who deserved it. But still. Yeah, I was going to say, like, would you want, if you met Roald Dahl, would you want him to be anything but sarcastic? Of course, yeah. he, he should be sarcastic. That's, that's the best version of Roald Dahl. Yeah. And so just a couple other things here. All right. Apparently, these are rules that he applied to every children's book. One, just add chocolate. You may have read this. Did you read this? No, I don't think so. Adults can be scary. Bad things happen. Revenge is sweet. Keep a wicked sense of humor. Pick perfect pictures. Films are fun, but books are better. And food is fun. Hmm. Those are the eight <laughs> rules that he applied. This book definitely, I think, applies all of them. Yeah, and I think most of his books have that. So, as far as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory goes, apparently when he was young, at one of the schools, Cadbury would send boxes of chocolate to the school. And that's one of the ways that he thought, man, when I get older, I really want to help Cadbury decide on flavors and things like that. Gobstoppers were also a very popular ch children's candy at the time. And so these would come in later to be influential for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Apparently in early drafts, Charlie was actually supposed to be a young black boy. <laughs> but one of his editors convinced him that it would sell better if he changed it. So again, more evidence that he's not the cruel racist that people think he is. Mm. That it, it actually, it works. I mean, it, it makes sense that that's who he would have wanted to, to have been at first because mm -hmm. he's this down and out boy that nobody expects to win, right? Yeah, and makes sense. The one yeah. By the way, the other thing that I read was that there were, were chocolate wars going on in his childhood, that these big Cadbury and the companies were stealing each other's secrets. And that was kind of a yeah one of those things that was in the news when he was a boy for whatever huh. reason. Yeah. So 
Apparently, this book went through various changes. At first, it was supposed to be 10 children who won, and it was going to be a lot more... <laughs> a lot more ter- terrible murders. Yeah, or potential <laughs> murders. There were going to be some pretty... We saw horrible. them all walk away, Nathan. It yeah. is interesting that the, the Gene Wilder movie actually makes it the, the most dark because he, he says they're going to be okay, but you don't actually see it. I think in the Tim version version, you see it. But I was interesting to me that in the book, we actually got to see them. They all survived. Yeah, except for Johnny Depp's presentation of Willy Wonka that Tim Burton movie's a little bit more faithful I hate Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka yeah, but the yeah. movie itself the Charlie Bucket and the Mr. Bucket like all that stuff's real good the whole feel of the movie except for Willy Wonka is much closer to the book yeah I really like the Gene Wilder movie I mean who doesn't like the Gene Wilder movie but yeah well I'll tell you who didn't like the Gene Wilder Uh-oh. movie and that might actually be a good transition into baggage Roald Dahl hated it did he yeah he oh. absolutely hated it he ref- and actually it, too sentimental it was because of that movie he just said it didn't stay faithful enough to the source, and he was mad and angry at what Disney did to it. And so, it was Disney, right? I don't think so. Or was so, it not Disney? I don't know. If it was, it was maybe a subsidiary, but I could be crazy. Yeah. Anyways, he was very upset by it and refused, he said, until he died to let anybody do a film adaptation of any of his movies. Hmm. So. They certainly rectified that once he was dead. Yeah. That's not true. Is he not dead when the witches came out? That, uh, so it, it may be that he just he lied. Just made a, yeah. Yeah. They, you throw money at people. They, so yeah. And then that's he, right. I, I, I forgot. Uh, sorry. I just, this is very important. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory funded by the Quaker Oats company. Actually, really? they wanted to sell chocolate. That's why that movie was made. So it's actually got one of huh. the weirder distribution. Paramount distri- distributed it, but. In terms of who put up the money for the Gene Wilder movie, it's one of the weirder stories of all funding in movies. It was basically created so that they could make a Wonka line of of chocolate bars, which is they did still and still exists to this day. Yeah, I think still by everlasting gobstoppers and nerds, I think, or maybe a, a Wonka d- down the line Wonka product. Yeah. We should look it up. Yeah. Wonka. So So just to wrap things up on my end. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently so I'm finally looking at the Wikipedia page here for him because I don't do that for everything, people. Yeah, no. Anyways. Bottle caps, everlasting gobstoppers, fun dip, laffy taffy, nerds, pixie sticks, runts, spree, sweet tarts, sweet tart, chewy sours, sweet tarts, soft and chewy ropes, Wonka ice cream, mix-ups, and randoms. So basically like a lot of candy that I loved when I was about 11 and no candy that I like now. And a bunch of other candies that you might remember from when you were a kid, but don't exist anymore well like pixie sticks laffy taffy those are like all those are like my swimming pool candy like i'm gonna and swimming pool candy is exactly right yeah get that's off right. the water slide go to the little concession stand that's right and that's the kind of thing that you get pay yeah. two or three bucks and some of it's some of it's just halloween candy like bottle caps is halloween candy laffy taffy is halloween candy yeah but fun dip is like ballpark or or uh, swimming pool candy. Yeah. And pixie sticks, definitely. Yeah, totally. Swimming pool candy. Yep. candy, yeah. But none of Red those. Red spree, sweet tarts. I don't yeah. think you could pay me to eat any of those. I mean, you could pay me if you, you had could. a lot of money. But, uh, you could definitely pay me to eat these. If I, you want to pay me to eat these, please. You, could, me. you could not ask me for free to eat any of those, I don't think. It Fun depends on fun. the mood. Nerds, just a little bit, or sweet tarts, or even spree. I don't know what spree is. Rents not so much. Spree? Yeah, what's spree? It's a little hard can- hard shell candies like sweet tarts, but with a chewy center. Oh. But still a little bit sour. They're good. They're fine. Yeah. I think sweet tarts are better. 
Oh, sweet tarts are better, yeah. Well, there you go. So anyways, I guess the last thing I would say is that if people want to go and read about his anti-Semitism and racism and misogyny, apparently they can go to Wikipedia. Well, I could talk about that real quick. Yeah. Because I have read the Wikipedia page. It's nothing, really. I mean, I don't want to be a anti-Semite apologist. But basically, he wrote an editorial late in his life, sometime in the 80s, against Israel. He did not like the state of Israel. And it was a pretty strongly worded letter or article that he wrote. And then there was some back and forth and some people said he was an anti-Semite, but that was it. He had Jewish friends. His editor, I think, was Jewish. He liked Jewish people in real life. He was also one of those guys who, of of his time, would, would talk about a race as if they had characteristics. Like people used to, you remember when people used to do that? Huh. So That's awful. So you can find quotes where he says, the Jewish character leads to this or does this, and it's not always pleasant but i mean we could name a half a dozen authors that we've talked about that have done worse things or similar things gk chesterton certainly had stronger things to say about the german character the jewish character than Raul Dahl ever said yep. for example so i think yep. he's just a, he's a he's a man of his time i think it'd be unfair to paint him as any kind of special or exceptional racist and probably unfair to paint him as a racist at all he also I think in one of his early children's books, there's some Jewish character who an earthquake happens and he run the character runs to count his money or to make sure that it doesn't, it isn't stolen or something like that. Oh no, I, I can just feel myself getting canceled. <laughs> and then the, 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 I can actually feel the canceling happening right now. There are police showing up. They're outside the studio. I'm going directly to jail as soon as I finish this. But as long as I'm already going to jail, I will say the sexism, the charges of sexism, there's really nothing there. He never said anything bad or did anything bad. The only reason people say he's a sexist is because they want to, they want something to lump in with the racism. And so they say the bad guys in his books tend to be these domineering fat old lady characters like the ants in James and the Giant Peach or like Mrs. Gloop or mm-hmm. but I don't know. He seems like to me that seems or Mrs. Trumbull and Matilda. Sure, okay. He didn't yeah, like all the dads in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory really wonderfully. Uptight, yeah, yeah exactly. He seems, he seems he seems like a pretty equal <laughs> opportunity person. hater of humanity, as yeah. far as I can tell. I, was, I listened to about half of Charlie in the Glass Elevator after this, and that one's really weird. Is it? <laughs> they go to space. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like the elevator, I think they they pick up the grandparents in the book, and somebody like hits the wrong lever, and then they blast into space, and they come to the International Space Hotel, where everyone's excitedly putting together the first space hotel and all the astronauts assume that the glass elevator is extraterrestrials. And then we cut to earth and the president of the United States is busy playing with his tinker toys or something like that <laughs> as his governor, as the vice president, who's a female who was his governess actually runs the country. Huh. And there's all this goofy political satire as they scramble to try and nice. figure out what to do about the aliens, what to do with this international incident. It's really weird. <laughs> Is it good? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was no, it, it lacked the, this might sound trite to say, but it lacked the moral dimension <laughs> of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, yeah. as, as silly and as sick, you might argue as it is, Charlie and the Ch- Chocolate Factory kind of feels like it's about something, whereas this book just felt like he was having fun. Yeah. But it was weird. Anyway, I don't remember why I said any of that, but. Except for just to illustrate, I, there again, I guess the, the the vice president is a woman and she's domineering and 
Yeah. So he liked he liked he had a certain kind of domineering villainous woman type that he liked to go back to, but well, he'd have to get rid of a lot of great authors. PG Woodhouse would certainly Dickens lose out. Dickens, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think that there's all that much to it. Please don't cancel me, internet, or cancel you already me. canceled. Yeah, yeah, I'm already. But I, it's it's just one of those things. People like to take these beloved public figures, especially the ones associated with childhood or innocence, and find some kind of dirt on them. I don't think there's really much there for Raul yeah. Dahl. It's like all the things you see about Shel Silverstein. <laughs> I don't know anything about Shel Silverstein. He actually was pretty crazy. Was he bad? But yeah. <laughs> there you go. Ooh, was there anything else we need to talk about context-wise? No, I think that's it. Ah, oh, man, there was something else that I wanted to say, but I don't remember what it was. You'll just have to remember it what on the next Charlie episode. Where does Charlie fit in his uh, ouvre? Say what? Where does Charlie fit? Good question. Let's find out. I think out. it's mid. It's 60s, right? So yeah. that sounds like it would be mid. We can just go right down here. Oh, I guess one other thing that was fun to point out is that he wrote the screenplay for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yes. Yes, he did. Did uh, he write the songs? No. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, strangely a Ian Fleming story. Yep. Weird. And I think he also wrote the screenplay for a James Bond movie for You Only Live Twice. Another part of his writing career was writing little strange horror stories. <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted adults. to mention. That was the other thing. Raul Dahl, a somewhat perverse, so you, you don't want to go too far. He wrote some pretty expl- sexually explicit stories, but his some of his best dark crime stories are quite good. There's a very famous one, which was adapted into a Alfred Hitchcock presents episode that a lot of people know and have heard of or have read a kind of a cultural touch touchstone in its small way, which is called a lamb to the slaughter about a jilted wife who bashes her husband over the head with a frozen leg of lamb and then cooks it and serves it to the detectives as they're searching for the murder weapon. Spoiler Mm. alert, but pretty famous. Yeah, so he wrote a lot of macabre stories. If, as I have, folks, you have read omnibus editions of, you know, collections of the dark fantastic and of 20th century grotesque and weird and dark and crime stories, Raul Dahl's one of the frequently anthologized guys that shows up and his adult stories are, when not uh, explicitly bad, quite good. He had a nice line in the dark, macabre, dry kind of Alfred Hitchcock sort of thing, which I guess you'd expect he would actually because yep. he had that in his children's books as well. Yep. The other short story I remember was a really weird one about how the trees were screaming as we cut them down or something like that. Yikes. And so it wasn't like an ecologically forward thinking save planet earth kind of story it was just a weird story about trees screaming so Raul Dahl a good writer of the dark fantastic in his way yes so any more context or no that's it all right well I think we gotta shout out some patrons then guys why don't you guys decide which one of the six children whether it's Veruca Salt Augustus Gloop let's see if I can do this Mike TV Charlie Bucket six children uh, I said six I don't even know if that's the right number it's five. five yeah so I, I'm just missing one. Violet. Uh, oh, Violet Beauregard. 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 Which Violet Beauregard, by the way, her punishment seems a little, or her, her, her sin seems a little bit smaller than the other ones. She just liked to chew gum, but I guess he thought gum chewing was really annoying. Anyway, we can litigate that next week. Let's, Tim Burton does a good job making her worse. 
Yes. Yeah, isn't she just kind of she's one of those more mouthy and yes, that's right. Yeah. And her mom's uh, driving it, kind of like one of those uh, soccer uber yuppie soccer mom. Yeah, spandex. Comment on that sort of thing. Yes, yes, I do remember that. The evil kids are all pretty well. Both versions have good evil kids. I think. I don't know. We could talk about that next time. All right. Still trying to find our patrons here. All right, guys. So, which one of the children does Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds remind you of, Brandon? Of course, Charlie and the chocolate. Charlie and the chocolate. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like the chocolate. The artful Anthony Dodger, Jake. Mike TV. Yeah. That guy deserves to be taffy pulled. (laughs) A little Anthony's cigar store. Augustus Glued. The immortal Chelsea E. Baruch Assault. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. This is really not flattering to our patrons. Yeah, this is you to know. You know what? Let's compare them. Let's, Let's do something new. Let's wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Just keep going. I got it. Okay, you got a, You got an idea? Um, All right. Where was I? Lily of the Valley? Dracula. Is who you'd compare her to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's much more flattering. Good. That's a character from Berlin Chocolate Factory. Right? Yeah, yeah. What happens to Dracula at the end? <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They really didn't deserve it. Yeah, no. Fell into that garlic press, I think. Where was I? Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Can I have to say... Frankenstein. Another great character from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Although Immortalized uh, behind you. Yeah, there's a Frankenstein poster right behind me, folks. Willy Wonka's Experiments with the Undead. Not one of the more savory parts of the book, but that's all right. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Dracula. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's true. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Let's be real. Dracula. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Frankenstein. Yeah. It's, sorry. Consul Prime Adam. Dracula. Jeremy the Dark Hood of the Lord of Death. Frankenstein. And Nathan, not me. Dracula. Maya! Maya! Frankenstein. Yep. Brian the Bread Avenger, Judith the Ladies of Justice. Dracula. DJ Sammy G. Frankenstein. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Dracula. Eric and Catherine from Beyond Window Breaks. Professor and Lady X. Dracula. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, lavender's blue. Lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, I love you too. Fun fact, I just said lavender's green, Dylan, Dylan, lavender's glue <laughs> without trying. It just came out that way. Lavender glue. Lavender glue. If you guys have never tried lavender glue, it smells great and your stuff falls apart. No constrictor. Face name. Marichip. L- uh, lavender. <laughs> lavender. There you go. The very fragrant maiden Chloe. Frankenstein. Anthony was cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Dracula. Uh, yeah, Dracula was a dirty cheese hater, wasn't he? Jujitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Frankenstein. I'm sorry. I'm not Roald Dahl. I don't want to make fun of cheese haters here. Yeah, sorry to say that sounds racist somehow. Yeah, those dirty cheese eaters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know who that's racist against. I don't let's, know. Let's not figure it out. The French. French. The French. That's what I was guess yeah. 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 Aren't they cheese eating surrender monkeys? Wasn't that a thing back in the day? Sounds I have like no idea it. what you're talking about, Nathan. That sounds terrible. You don't remember back when the French were eating cheese and surrendering all the time, like monkeys? It's a Simpsons line that groundskeeper Willie said that became part of the national discourse <laughs> around 9-11. So as so many things did. Around the, the era of Freedom I did, Fries. I just remember Freedom Fries. Yeah, yeah it was the same. Jeez, some some you... op-ed guy used the line from the Simpsons, and it became kind of a meme in the pre-meme era. So there you go. little history with Nathan. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> you guys make a fair point. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Dracula. Did I say Rachel? Rachel. Which are the Jedi? Frankenstein. Jay of Rack and Root. Dracula. 
I like that we're taking our time with this one. Sometimes we rush through these patrons, but I like that we're I just, just love it we're so taking much. our time. <laughs> Not like Brandon needs to drive two hours home to Bloomington or anything. Uh, Timothy, the writer at dawn. Frankenstein. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are, let's not forget, <laughs> lest we forget, warm, and they, they love bees. Dracula. And our good friend who sent us some wonderful art of David Copperfield as a sandworm, as one does. Maddie, 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 Man. I don't remember whether I saw said this, said this on which side of the paywall, but if you want a t-shirt of David Copperfield as a sandworm, then all you have to do is... Make your voice heard. Make your voice heard. Make it heard. Yes. Break the silence. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Another quality lady. Dracula. Yeah, probably. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness. And Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Frankenstein. Both of them, yeah. <clears throat> Cold Steel Cody. Dracula. Jacqueline, the Librarian Barbarian. Frankenstein. John Bombadilla Bomb Diggity. And Captain Tennille, his mate. Dracula. Saxophone Alex. Frankenstein. The other saxophone Alex and dubstep Danny. Dracula. Ryan, the Terror of Texas, and Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who are stuck in the cold. Please send cheeses. Ben Solo and Kyla Wren. Dracula. John, the Cosmic King of Chaos. Frankenstein. Matthew, the Mind Flavor, or Flair, yeah. Dracula. Annie, are you okay? Get your gun. <laughs> Frankenstein. Ow! All right. <laughs> That's my Michael Jackson. Woo! Ow! <laughs> Michael Jackson stubbing his toe, maybe. <laughs> All right. We got two new people to welcome. Oh, wow. boy. Oh, yay. Now, one of these is very is really interesting because it's actually a different patron who's giving money towards us calling out this patron, which I wasn't aware was a thing that you could do. But hey. Apparently, you can. Give us money. and You give us enough money, you can. You give us enough money. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. So, I can't say the name of the donor. But he kindly asked that we call out. Oh, you said he. That eliminates 50% of the population, Nathan. Or she. Nope, too late. Let's not be gendered, Brandon. Is it Dracula? It might be Dracula. I knew. I knew it wasn't Frankenstein. That guy's nah, a miser. <laughs> <laughs> Are all girls Frankenstein and all boys Dracula? I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we've. So all girls are misers and all guys are generous. Let's <laughs> <laughs> that. Brandon just got himself at the breakdown canceled. of our supporters here. I just get myself canceled with you, Nathan. Come on in the cancellation Maybe Baby Yoda almost got himself canceled. We ate those eggs. He Genocide, those eggs. man. He ate those eggs. He ate those don't eggs. eggs. Yo, baby Yoda. Don't eat the eggs, baby Yoda. Hey, Grogu, don't stop eating the eggs, stop man. Stop eating the eggs, man. What but, you doing there, baby Yoda? Come on. Ah, oh, man, baby Yoda, quit eating the eggs. Should we, hear me out, should we do this bit for the next five minutes? <laughs> Jake really wants us to. Uh, you think Jake ever hears us talking and says, man, I am the CEO of all this. <laughs> it just sort of shakes his head sadly. <laughs> no, I don't no, think that. I don't think that. Not I, for think, a second. I think he nods his head proudly. This is what I am paying. Wraps his for here, American flag around himself because he's always wearing one. Yeah, it's not often yeah. wrapped around him though. No, just, I just wrap it around me. Yeah, just tightly, yeah. So, the Valerie. Ooh. And Jake, we came up with a name for Valerie, but I'm having trouble remembering. Flight of the Valerie. Exactly. Flight of the Valerie. Hi, Flight of the Valerie. Are you picturing helicopters devastating a Vietnamese village? I know I am. I was. 
I was not. <laughs> Are you picturing Wagner? <laughs> I was. Talk about an anti-Semite. Ubermensch. What a mensch is that? Ubermensch. Oh, I thought you said what a mensch. That's what Nietzsche thought when he looked at him. What a mensch. What a mensch. What a mensch. He's the ultra mensch. Don't eat those eggs. (laughs) Hey, baby Yoda. racist. Don't eat those eggs, baby Yoda. What what are you doing, baby Yoda? Oh, no. (laughs) It's me, Mario. Uh. It's me, Nietzsche Mario. Select your eggs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh. oh no, it's Fat Alplane. Hey guys, hey, me. it's Fat Alplane. Welcome. I'm here just in time. I've been flying this whole time, and it took me this long to get here. I'm not a fast plane, but I'm a fat plane. Nope. <laughs> I take the S out of fast. You take the S out of fast. That's right, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Fat Alplane, I never knew you were so funny. Oh, yeah. You take the A-S-T out of fast and add the U-N-N-Y. <laughs> Boo. That's, that's not as funny. I'm laughing my... <laughs> Fat Alplane liked it. <laughs> I'm laughing my propeller off. <laughs> oh, 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 my. Hey, we forgot about... Uh, I, that's our other character. It's me, King Laugh. Oh, 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 oh. King Laugh. Hey, Fat Alplane. How's it going, man? Oh, oh, oh. It's been way too hey, long. Everything is very funny, Fat Alplane. Oh, 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 oh. We're getting oh. the booking canceled, man. Oh, 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 oh. We hate Hawaiians. Oh, 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 oh. And I hate women. <laughs> Hawaiian women are the worst. Oh, you better believe it, brother. All right. Oh, I'm canceling Fat Alplane. No. And King Laugh. No. I'm glad they're gone. Yeah. Oh, my. Those guys are racist against Hawaiian women. And that's something we don't stand for on the no, no, booking. No, no, no. Nope. <laughs> uh, I'm glad nobody ever makes it this far into the podcast. They turn it up a long time. <laughs> me too. All right. Hashtag, Hashtag. me too. <laughs> Great minds think alike. We'll tell them differ. <laughs> okay. Uh, Welcome, Flight of the Valkyries. So. Uh, 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 we somebody else still do. Yes, we've got, we've got one more. Oh, man. And his name is Josh. Mm. I hope you got something for this, Nathan. <laughs> I don't. I, I didn't Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Oh, that's awesome. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Jumpin' Jehosh, you fat. Yo, That's Josh. That's so better. Yo, Josh, you're fat? <laughs> yeah. Yo, Josh, you're fat. <laughs> yo, Josh, you're fat. Josh, you're fat. Oh. Okay, we can't. We How can't. about, yo, Josh, you're thin? He mm, needs something more awesome than that. Okay, how about... We just, like, sang Flight of the Valkyries to Valerie. Mm. Okay, what's another famous Wagner thing that Josh can be named after? Thor. <laughs> Josh. Thor the- Ragnar Josh. <laughs> Thor Ragnajosh isn't bad I mean it is terrible but It's pretty bad It's on par with some other ones Okay we can't settle for Thor Ragnajosh That's fun to say Josh You're asking Josh to get this You know what Josh Would you like to be Thor Ragnajosh I think we'd enjoy that But maybe that's too silly So let us know if you're happy being Thor Ragnar Josh, 
Or if you'd like to be, I need another. The Joshua Tree. If you, or if you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> or if you'd like to be the Joshua Tree. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Joshua Tree is Josh and me. The, or if you'd like to be the Joshua Tree is Josh and me. Josh. So your options are Thor Ragnar Josh. The Joshua Tree is Josh and me. Jumpin' Josh. <laughs> Jeff, Josh jumpin' Josh. You're fat. <laughs> jumpin' Josh. You're fat. <laughs> but P-H-A-T. Yeah. That's okay, right? Yeah. Right. The beginning is pro-fat. That's right. We are. Hand me another Wonka bar. There you go, Brennan. <laughs> they just throw them to me like the seals get the fish. They just throw me Wonka bars. Like yep. That's how we're going to pay Brennan if we ever get up to $2,000. We'll bounce one on his nose. <laughs> hold it. Hold it. Like good context, like yeah. Free chocolate. That's right, man. Those Oompa Loompas had their priorities straight. <laughs> oh, you know what? The other interesting thing about this book is the bad kids get their free chocolate. They sure do. Yep. But maybe they've learned a lesson or something. I don't know. We'll talk about it next time. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for being with us. And Josh, don't you worry. If you don't like Thor Ragna, Josh, then we'll fix it right up next time. Just let us know. Just let us know. Don't eat those eggs. Don't eat those eggs, baby Yoda. No. <laughs> Brr.